This episode of The Incubator is proudly sponsored by Chiesi. Providing innovative neonatology solutions for more than 35 years, Chiesi is committed to supporting the neonatology community and the NICU families you serve. To learn more, visit www.nicuconnections.com slash incubator. This is The Incubator, a weekly discussion about new advances in neonatology and the fascinating individuals who make this progress possible. I am Dr. Ben Korsha. And I'm Dr. Daphne Yasova-Barbeau. We are neonatal intensive care physicians. Welcome. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Um, we are joined with Dr. Bimal Chaudhry. Bimal, thank you for making the time to be on with us today. Oh, pleasure to be here, Ben. Thanks for having me. No, of course. Can you tell us a little bit um, where, where, you're, where you're coming from today? Uh, which institution are you from? And uh, what is your role within the CHNC and uh, its many QI initiatives? Yeah, so I'm uh, an investigator and an attending in genetics and neonatology at Nationwide Children's Hospital in Columbus, Ohio. And so I was one of the founding uh, leaders for the genomics focus group uh, here at CHNC. Yeah, and that's a that's a big trendy topic yeah. uh, when we're talking about genomics and uh, all the babies that, I mean, I guess you'll, you'll tell us about it, but what are some of the uh, areas of improvement that your focus group is highlighting as potential uh, targets in the in the near future? Yeah, so we have sort of three areas of, as you mentioned, this sort of fairly trendy topic that yeah. we focus on, right? So my primary area of interest and what I lead within the group is actually thinking about implementation mm -hmm. um, and so the delivery of genetic medicine services. Um, we have two other focus group leaders. So uh, Kristen Surrey, who founded the group with me uh, from the beginning, is very involved in Um, updating the Children's Hospitals and Neonatal Database, so the yeah. flagship product for yeah. the consortium, to actually include um, genetic and genomic test results so right. that we can do research. And then we recently this year added Sabrina Malone-Jenkins as a, the third leader for the focus group, who's primarily interested in clinician education and mm -hmm. uh, led a workshop in right. that area uh, at this year's symposium. Very cool. And when we're looking at uh, genomics in the NICU, I think there's a lot of papers that have been published about the fact that there are so many babies that have interesting presentations, different phenotypes, and we're not really sure what is the underlying pathology and sometimes gen uh, whole exome sequencing or um, analysis of the baby's genome can sometimes reveal unsuspected diagnoses and help understand um, the initial uh, presentation. Um, what do you have to say about that? Is, are we going to move into a, an era where because of how much it's costing now to do these types of tests, we're going to do genetic testing more and more on our neonates? Yeah, so I think that the phenomenon you describe, which is that genetic diseases present in neonates differently than are described classically in the literature, is right. increasingly recognized, and I think it's a big impetus for this. And so, yes, the long-term trend is going to be for increasing use of rapid genome sequencing early in a hospitalization, um, 
one, for the reason that you identified, but two, also because the earlier you use it, the more cost-effective this sort of testing methodology is, because then you have that information to inform as many of your downstream uh, decisions as possible. That's interesting. Um, I wanted to ask, uh, you guys are presenting today that the focus group had their first publication. Is that right? Um, And you're the senior author of this uh, report, Provision and Availability of Genomic Medicine Services in Level 4 Neonatal Intensive Care Units. So tell us what you learned. Yeah, so this was a great use of the consortium and what it can be. Um, And so we surveyed the Level 4 NICUs that are part of the consortium. And um, we asked for a single response from every center. So really, we tried to capture data about uh, unit-level practices and not um, individual uh, practitioner choices. Um, And really, the things that we identified were that um, testing is available in the sense that it is theoretically possible to obtain, Mm -hmm. uh, but that there are a number of barriers to actually delivering this uh, model of care, uh, Ben, that you were alluding to in your previous question. And some of the barriers that we identified were that um, most of our centers can't get a same-day genetics consultation to have a medical geneticist mm-hmm. assist in either the logistics of the testing or um, assessing the um, advisability of testing for a particular patient. And that even if there's agreement that it's clinically indicated, um, most, the vast majority of centers um, within our consortium uh, have a number of barriers requiring approval from insurance companies, um, hospital utilization committees, lab utilization committees, external uh, expert reviews um, before you can even send out uh, this sort of testing. And all of that leads to the fact that most of our centers can't actually get results back within two weeks which um, previous studies have consistently demonstrated to be the threshold of cost-effectiveness. What are some of the things you're working on currently um, uh, to try to improve our, our understanding of genomics and, and how that, that, does that relate to our NICU population? Yeah, so you do stuff both outside of the consortium, of course, because I have a lab, but also within, in a sense. Um, and so Monica Wojcik, who's the first author on the paper that we just talked about, and I have collaborated on just trying to describe better how genetic disorders present in the mm-hmm. NICU. Um, but then also later today, um, Austin Antonio, who's a postdoc in my lab, is presenting data on using machine learning to try and predict based on um, documentation and billing and coding from the first hospital day in a level four NICU, whether a kid is actually going to need genomic medicine services in the first 18 months of their life to say, let's cut down on that whole diagnostic odyssey and let's get genetics involved on day one mm-hmm. and get a diagnosis as quickly as possible. That's super interesting. Yeah, it's so important, I think, the availability of a, a somebody who specializes in genetics. And I'm going to take advantage of your expertise in the in the topic and, and, and ask, you know, I think for us who are mainly clinicians at the bedside, we sometimes, you know, struggle if we don't have the especially geneticist access um, with all of these new um, pathology-focused panels, which should help theoretically simplify um, our workup. Um, but one, having access to it. Two, knowing which panels to, to send. And so, you know, how do we balance that as clinicians at the bedside? So 
I'm going to give the ivory tower academic answer first. Sure. <laughs> Deal. Um, which is, and this is a personal opinion, does not represent the consensus of the consortium, but I do think is an increasingly recognized position. These phenotype-driven panels have very limited, if any, applications in level four neonatology. The problem is that the panels oftentimes don't include the genes that are disease-causing for our patients. So Monica Wojcik, the collaborator in Boston who I described before, she and I have published a case series um, of patients who presented with neonatal bone marrow failure syndromes as premature infants who all got bone marrow, who were considered for bone marrow failure panels, right? And none of the commercially available panels included the gene that was the molecular cause of this patient's disease. That is very frustrating. That's, un- that's unfortunate. That's right? very frustrating. And so it's frustrating, but it also means the difference between life and death for a baby yeah. because they will, you will wait weeks for that panel to come back. It will be negative. Somebody's going to have to be smart enough to realize they actually needed an exome or a genome. And in between, those are days that are ticking from which a kid might not be eligible for their bone marrow transplant, which wow. is oftentimes the only life-saving therapy. And so I guess what I would say is that's one piece of it. And then the other piece of it is the reason that people tried to order panels historically, and this was addressed in the workshop we had yesterday, is that we're afraid of variants of uncertain significance. Yeah. But Heidi Rehm from Harvard um, has collaborated with commercial labs and done, uh, reviewed over one million genetic test results, not just in the NICU, but generally speaking. Exome and genome sequencing have fewer variants of uncertain significance than panels mm. because of the ways that they are um, analyzed in the laboratories. So I would actually argue that cost aside, and this mm-hmm. is like the ivory tower part of my answer, <laughs> cost aside, exome, rapid exome or rapid genome sequencing are actually the first line genetic test for almost all non, non-clearly recognizable syndromic presentations sure. in our Yeah, and, and these variants of unknown significance are going to be reduced less and less the more we test and the right. more we connect those with the presentation. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, and so over time, the, the advantage of genome and exome is only going to grow. Right. right. Very interesting. Lemar, thank you so much for being on the podcast and uh, for all the work that you do. Uh, we, uh, we're going to hopefully run into you a bit more at the CNC Symposium this uh, coming two days. Fabulous. Thanks for having me, there. You're Thanks. welcome. Oh, that was great. This was really valuable. Yeah. Thank you for listening to The Incubator. If you like this episode, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcast or the Apple Podcast website. You can find other episodes of The Incubator and new shows from The Incubator Network on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or the podcast app of your choice. We would love to hear from you, so feel free to send us questions, comments, or suggestions to our email address, nikupodcast at gmail.com, or by visiting our website, www.the-incubator.org. You can also message the show on Instagram or X, formerly known as Twitter, at NICU Podcast. Thanks again for listening and see you next time. This podcast is intended to be purely for entertainment and informational purposes and should not be construed as medical advice. If you have any medical concerns, please see your primary care practitioner. Thank you.